When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to this special edition of The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and you are watching CNN's special coverage of the growing chaos in the U.S. House of Representatives. House members currently voting for Speaker for the third time today, the sixth time this week. This has not happened since 2000, I'm sorry, since 1923, 100 years ago, 1923. Rebellious House Republicans, as was the case 100 years ago, are denying the man who thought he would be speaker, in this case, Kevin McCarthy, McCarthy. the necessary votes to win the speaker's gavel, meaning that right now the House is completely paralyzed. We do not have a speaker. We do not have official members of Congress. We do not have committees. We do not have rules. And the math is frankly only getting worse for Kevin McCarthy as the process drags out. The total number of Republicans not voting for him is going up. The total number of Republicans voting for him is going down. Let's go straight to CNN Chief Congressional Correspondent Manu Raju, who's been live on Capitol Hill for us all day. Manu, we're, we're hearing that each side of this Republican against Republican standoff might appoint four members to negotiate some sort of way forward. Yeah, that's what, according to uh, sources, tell us that that is what is under discussion right now. To come up with some sort of group, a negotiating group, to break this standoff that is paralyzing the House and preventing the 118th Congress from moving forward. The discussion, four people on the side of McCarthy, very close to Kevin McCarthy, representing his interests. Then four, and also interests of other members, other parts of the Republican conference. And then four people who are part of this 20-group block of members who are denying Kevin McCarthy the, the path this, to the speakership. Have them sit down in the room, negotiate, horse trade, see what agreement that they can be reached, or at least get some sort of proposal on the table in writing and present that to the rest of the conference, the rest of the members of the Republican conference. That has been a big challenge for people close to Kevin McCarthy over the last day or so. They've been trying to get in writing exactly what these detractors want. But that has been vague, according to the members who are part of this discussion. They're saying that they have not gotten any clear sense from these members what exactly they would do in order to, to get to yes. But there are signs that at least these talks are continuing, which is a positive sign. Lisa McCarthy folks believe that there's a positive sign that perhaps they can eventually break the stalemate. In one development, Chip Roy, one of the 20 no votes, told me that he is not a hard no on McCarthy. He said he's going to be part of these discussions going forward. He said that they have had more productive discussions over the last two hours than they have had over the past two months. And this was all part of a push by a number of these members to essentially give them more power over the speakership, weaken the leadership. Some of the sessions McCarthy has made, others want to go further. But the challenge, Jake, is not all of the 20 members have the same point of view. Some of them simply want a different speaker candidate altogether. So even though these negotiations are happening, that does not guarantee McCarthy a path to the speakership. He needs to prevent more than four Republicans from defecting. Right now, that math is not there. The question is, can tonight, can any closed-door talks tonight 
break the stalemate? That is one question. And Jake, the other great question is they want to adjourn after this vote, but to adjourn you need 218 votes of the full House. It is still uncertain whether Democrats will assist them and whether they'll get all Republicans to agree to move forward. So a bit, another question, can they adjourn? They want to, and then get into these talks for later tonight, Jake. All right, Manu Raju on Capitol Hill. Thanks. Let's discuss uh, with our uh, panel. Um, so what we're hearing right now, uh, Abby, is Republican Congressman McCarthy Foe, Bob Good of Virginia, said this actually could take several weeks to resolve. Do you think <laughs> that the public, Very do you think that uh, Republicans in the House have the stomach for that? I don't know. I don't know that, I really don't know that they have the stamina for it. I don't know that they have the patience for it. As we talked about earlier, there are some real consequences to this getting dragged on. People don't get paid. People's student loans don't get paid. They can't set anything up. Uh, they can't. They obviously can't do any business, which they couldn't do until the Senate came into session later this month anyway. But it's a huge delay, and I don't know that anybody really wants that to be the case, not to mention the fact that more time is not necessarily Kevin McCarthy's friend in this situation. I think that's become apparent over the last two days. As this has gone on, each successive vote, he is losing support. His supporters are getting more frustrated with him. That's the opposite of what he thought was going to happen earlier in this week. So for all of those reasons, I don't really think that McCarthy's supporters will allow it to go on for weeks. And it's not going to take all of them, by the way. I, I don't think that it's going to be like 70 McCarthy supporters. I think even if he starts to lose a handful, 10, a dozen that's, that has a huge psychological effect on this process, and I think that will start to drive can, how this goes. Can we also acknowledge that Chip Roy was never a never Kevin? Right. He was yeah. always looking for things to negotiate that were substantive. This was not about uh, personal. He was a hard line. He wants changes in the rules to make it an easier amendment process and to have it so that legislation isn't done in committees and there is an amendment process, et cetera. That's, that's his big issue. So, so the question to me is it comes down to math again. Even though they may have these negotiations with four on each side, are any of those four never Kevins? Have any of the never Kevins changed? Right now, the numbers uh, on the ballots have been 20 against Kevin and one present, 21 he can only lose four. Right. And I think that that's the critical number here still, Jake. I mean, we, we have talked a lot about, okay, what is motivating all of these people? Even as they try to get four of them in the room, um, it's not clear you could get one to represent each little corner of that, that universe. But there are, to your point, Jamie, enough right now who have a personal problem with Kevin McCarthy that you start to really see a world come into focus where Steve Scalise or someone like him becomes a consensus candidate here. I mean, I'm with Abby in that I don't see a universe in which this continues on for months, partly because I think that that might ultimately start to break the backs of the Republicans who actually want to see the government function. Um, And that's really going to be people that support Kevin McCarthy. And I think just watching... The dynamics on the actual floor today, watching people's faces, watching the smile disappear from Kevin McCarthy's face, watching those interactions and negotiations become more animated and heated and playing out right in public on the House floor shows you that the pressure is building to the point where this is, it's got to go somewhere. And, and Caitlin, let's talk about the Trump factor for a second here, because Donald Trump uh, is, has endorsed Kevin McCarthy. 
He kind of gave a tepid remark to NBC yesterday and this morning gave a stronger support, although I wouldn't call it strong in general. Um, he doesn't seem to be really having any influence on this, although Marjorie Taylor Greene said if it hadn't. Well, go ahead. Yeah, I was, well, I was just looking at what she said. She says that he does still have sway and that she actually believes that he helped prevent more defections from Kevin McCarthy today. I don't know. I mean, obviously, we've seen how this has played out today and what these votes have looked like. Ken Buck then saying, you know, you can't really guarantee a vote for McCarthy for much longer is a big part of this. And I was just texting with a House Republican who said, you know, they are going to have these meetings and small groups, they believe, after this vote ends, where it's four members of the House Freedom Caucus, four of McCarthy allies meeting with McCarthy to talk about this. But this House Republican said very few people believe that's actually going to break the impasse here and that it's actually going to really change anything. I also think another thing to think about here is, you know, we are going to soon talk about alternative voices and who that could be. Is this what it looks like if McCarthy does actually become House Speaker? I mean, how is he going to negotiate with his conference when it comes to a government shutdown and avoiding that, when it comes to the debt ceiling, when it comes to all of these huge factors that they're going to have to be dealing with if he did even get it? It just shows the chaos that it's going to be. And Brian Mass saying today... Now, this is what the next two years are going to look like. It is going to look like what you saw yesterday and what you've seen today. Because the rules are being changed and the speakership itself, no matter who ends up winning it, uh, will be weaker is the point that, uh, that Congressman Mass was making. Let's bring in Republican Congressman Dusty Johnson of South Dakota, who's a supporter of Kevin McCarthy for House Speaker. Congressman, thanks for joining us. Um, it does not look like Kevin McCarthy can become Speaker. Uh, he is losing votes. Uh, instead of gaining votes, and the opposition is gaining votes instead of losing votes. What, what is the path forward? Well, Jay, keep in mind that a lot of this is negotiation. I would caution everybody not to draw too many conclusions from the swing of one vote or the swing of one vote yesterday. The reality is that 200 is still a whole lot bigger number than 20. And you talked about, uh, your guest talked about the animated conversations on the floor. Uh, I've certainly been a part of a number of them. And I think the fact that those conversations are still ongoing shows that people are trying to get to yes. Byron Donalds is not going to become Speaker of the House. Everybody knows that. Hakeem Jeffries is not going to become Speaker of the House. Everybody knows that. There are still real and active conversations going on today on that floor about how to make uh, Kevin McCarthy be the Speaker. I guess the question I have is, I I know that all 20 uh, votes against McCarthy are not never Kevin votes. uh, and I know that the vote present from Congresswoman Victoria Sparks is, is just a vote, she says, uh, to have negotiation, not a vote against Kevin McCarthy. But it does seem that there are five definite, hardline, never Kevin votes. Uh, there were at the beginning of this process. And I don't know that Matt Gates cares that much about rule changes. I don't know that Lauren Boebert cares that much about, you know, whether or not the Rules Committee... Uh, changes the amendment process. It seems to me like they just will not vote for him. And if he can't get those five, isn't that game over? Well, a lot of this is posturing because it strengthens someone, someone's leverage. Now, listen, do I expect Matt Gates to, in the end, vote for Kevin McCarthy? I do not. In that way, you're right, Jake. But I would tell you, everybody I am talking to, with the exception of two or three members on the floor, wants to be done with this this week. Every Republican out there knows that we've got uh, the southern border we've got to deal, deal with, we've got inflation, we've got crime and drugs. There are people that you may think are never Trumpers that are actively trying to find a way to yes. And I, and I would say this also, 
there might be a pretty good number that might even today describe themselves as never, I, sh I said never Trumpers, I meant never Kevins, Jake, who might describe themselves as never Kevins. The reality is emotions are running high right now, and I think once we can calm everybody down and focus on what we've got to do for the next two years, you're going to see, uh, see, see some people come around. So let's assume that that happens uh, and there is a further liberalization of the rules, weakening of the speakership, which some might argue is actually better for democracy anyway. That's certainly the position Chip Roy has, uh, where it's easier to amend legislation. It's easier uh, to demand a vote on something uh, as opposed to the stricter rules that are in place right now. Will that be a speakership that prevents further chaos? We're seeing a lot of chaos right now. Might, might would this just be a preview of what the House Republican majority looks like with these weaker rules for the speaker? Uh, listen, newsflash, it doesn't matter what the rules will be and it doesn't matter who the speaker will be. It is going to be a chaotic two years. When you have a majority that is this narrow in a Republican Party that I think doesn't take orders well, lots of independent thinkers, it's going to be messy. One of the reasons that I have continued to vote for Kevin McCarthy is that I think he gives us the best opportunity to have a functional majority and keep the chaos down to a manageable level. So that's an excellent point. One thing that, that I think a lot of people in the House of Representatives in, your, in the Republican conference are not necessarily thinking about right now is whoever becomes speaker with this Republican majority, in order to achieve anything, you will need to deal with Democrats in the Senate so you can get to 60 votes there or even 50, 51 votes there. And you will need to have a president who is willing to sign that legislation. Uh, it seems to me that... You talk about how this is going to be chaotic no matter what. There's also the factor of if you want any of this to actually become legislation, it needs to be palatable to Democrats as well. Well, I hear you loud and clear. I'm the chairman of the Main Street Caucus. That's between 70 and 80 pragmatic conservatives who want to get things done. We're acutely aware of what you're saying, Jake. There are areas of common ground. I don't know how anybody in the Senate or in the House could look at two million folks crossing the southern border in a year and say, oh, that's fine. We don't need to do anything. Increasingly, Democrats are coming to me and they are saying, we know we got to do something at the border. They know that we have to do something about inflation. They know that we have to do something about crime and drugs in our cities. There are things we can get done. But to get any of that done, Republicans, we've got to get our act together because uh, committees can't form and legislation can't move forward without a Speaker of the House. And is this going to end with Speaker McCarthy or might it end with the Speaker Scalise or someone else? Uh, still uh, far and away, the person in the best position to get 218 votes is Kevin McCarthy. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to happen quickly. But he's still the guy best positioned to, A, do the job, and B, get the votes. Republican Congressman Dusty Johnson, a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much, sir. Good luck to you and your conference. As voting continues, it is a six-apparent defeat for Kevin McCarthy. On day two, our special coverage of the drama for House Speaker continues right after this quick break. A sixth vote for Speaker of the House. It's happening right now. And they're calling the people who haven't voted yet. Magaziner. It's only a couple left. Jeffries. It looks like another apparent defeat 
for Republican leader Kevin McCarthy on day two, vote six of this chaotic process to elect the Speaker of of the House of Representatives. Let's bring in Republican Congressman Dan Bishop from the great state of North Carolina. He's a member of the House Freedom Caucus. Uh, He supported Congressman Byron Donalds for Speaker on all three ballots today, voted against Kevin McCarthy all three times yesterday as well. Congressman, uh, thanks so much for being here. So we've had six votes now, although the sixth one is not official yet, but it looks like he's not going to win again. Uh, And his vote total actually has decreased since the first ballot, not by much, by a couple votes. Um, Is there any way to get you to yes when it comes to Kevin McCarthy as Speaker? Hypothetically, conceivably, as far as I'm concerned, Jake, it's a question of can we build guardrails so that we're more confident, sufficiently confident that the House of Representatives will deliver for the American people. It's the view of many of us. And I I think this is really widespread in America, Jake, that the place is broken, that, you know, we just did this big $1.7 trillion omni. You know, that's happened constantly for a decade. Uh, and things need to change. The group of people I'm working with, we began back in the summer, before the election, trying to talk about how we could change rules and procedures in order to improve the place. And we've been in a constant state of work to, in good faith to try to get to a point that we can be confident that we're going to do the right thing. Obviously, Kevin McCarthy does not have the votes uh, at this time. And, and I, I don't know what, you know, it, it gets to be a question of what is the magic idea? A, a new idea was suggested to me on the floor today by a moderate member who I'm a good friend with and have had good interactions with. So hope springs eternal, and I'm prepared to continue working. Uh, I think if we'd worked the right way, we could have gotten this satisfied before or dealt with before we came to the floor January 3rd. What was the new idea you heard today that you liked? Well, I'd love to share. I'm afraid if we say if I say it out loud, Jake, I'll... I'll jinx the process in terms of what it represents. You, you can understand that. Kind of people get wedded to a single idea. It's sort of a problem. But I think what's interesting is there's a dynamic sort of quality. Different people are talking to different groups of people. And uh, there's going to be some more meetings after we finish today. And so I think I, I'm optimistic we're going to solve this problem for the American people. I think it's very important. You described it as chaotic. And you can say that. But I, but I really think this is democracy in action. If, if, if you're not satisfied with Washington as it is, then you can't just be satisfied doing the same thing as we begin this new Congress. So I'm very optimistic we're going to solve problems here. Well, just for the record, I described it as both chaotic and democracy in action. Okay, Uh, fair point. So um, Kevin McCarthy's team says uh, that they have acquiesced to a lot of the demands um, and that they have had trouble getting the further demands uh, from members opposing him in writing. Can you give me just two or three items that you want in order to vote for McCarthy, in order to get to some sort of uh, end of this process? Something that is very important to many members with whom I'm associated, but is not that terribly important to me, is they want to restore the motion to vacate the chair in precisely the manner that it existed in the rules before Nancy Pelosi took it away, in effect. And, uh, and McCarthy has attempted to compromise over that, do it sort of an echo of Nancy Pelosi's approach. I think it probably ought to go back to the way it was. Some members are really stuck on that. For me, otherwise, Jake, it's a question of what I said earlier. We always deliver these omnibuses. We don't get to the point of of doing 12 appropriations bills. We don't take each one separately. We don't have the budget discipline involved in that. And so I'm focused primarily on some mechanisms that might actually align McCarthy's incentives or the speaker's incentives uh, with what 
would re represent performance for the American people. Let's get it done instead of just having an aspiration that every time fails. So just for our, our viewers at home to understand, it's usually, well, about a decade ago, it used to be that each individual committee would pass an appropriations bill uh, and, and, uh, and each one of those would be a separate vote. Um, and it's, it doesn't really go like that anymore. Uh, it's done in these giant, massive packages. And one of the reasons, though, Congressman, as you know, uh, is that a lot of people uh, found that process, A, very grueling, which I know is not an excuse, but B, lending itself to further dysfunction. I'm playing devil's advocate here, yeah. but the idea was by doing it in this streamlined process, having one big vote, everybody can vote on this, then we'll actually pay for the government to function as opposed to the way you want to do it. Um, you understand that argument, I would guess, you just disagree with it. I do get it, and I don't know, Jake, I, I, I'm certain, certain people would say that, and some really aren't going to say it very much, but they probably believe it, but American people see it every time, and these bills are full of trash. I, I detailed a lot in this bill that just came forward. Having the more arduous process gives more opportunities to expose and use public you know, spectacle or pu public attention to try to prevent that or bring better discipline to bear. And one other thing that certainly is true that Americans recognize is as this process has gone, our debt is climbing into the stratosphere. It can't be the answer to say we're going to keep doing that in an undisturbed way. I'm in favor of whatever efficiencies we can develop, but we've got to approach it differently. And I think the Omni is about the biggest symbol of how broken Washington is. So let us assume that Kevin McCarthy or a different candidate, but let's, I guess let's stick with, with, since I'm just doing a hypothetical, let's stick with McCarthy. Let, let us assume he is willing to acquiesce to a lot of these demands, which in your view would, would democratize the process, allow more amendments. Uh, have more happen on the floor of the House instead of in committees, uh, have individual spending bills, not a massive big uh, omnibus spending bill. Would that be enough? Or does Kevin McCarthy himself have to agree to, for instance, refuse to vote to raise the debt ceiling? I mean, d does he need to agree to think and vote the way you do, or is it enough to just democratize the process? He doesn't have to think and vote the way I do. And those who've made the accusation that people are trying to control it from a group of a handful of people and do everything we do, that's not true. What I encouraged Kevin to do two months ago, right after the election, was to seize the opportunity, take control of the situation, identify some wins that we will pursue specifically, that we're going to go to the mat for together. Bring us all together around those. I was saying I was talking to a member uh, who's a moderate, uh, just earlier today, there are lots of points on which he and I agree and others that we've talked to in, in a group together. We could come up with, but the fact that you never see a specific agenda that you know Kevin McCarthy is going to go to the mat for as opposed to sort of uh, uh, pablum or just sort of uh, poll-tested language indicates the problem. And it's been that way for the all 14 years he's been in leadership, with all due respect to him. Right. And there's a lack of trust that a lot of the 20, and especially a lot of the core Never Kevin Five, have when it comes to McCarthy. Is there possibly somebody in Republican leadership who you would trust in such a situation? Uh, we heard uh, Congressman Buck float the name of Steve Scalise today. 
Well, one of the things, Jake, about the place is, you know, this, the, the fact that you might question, why are we talking about Kevin McCarthy? Why is he the guy? Because he's been at the top of the pecking order. So do we, is, are we consigned to advance the pecking order one notch every time? Is that, I think there'd be a much better process if we just said, okay, let's open the, the consideration. Who in the conference would be the most effective person to bring it to carry us forward, to lead, to have a, pol a legislative policy plan that we're going to fight for? Who would have the greatest conviction? And I'll tell you this, Jake, there are a variety of people who fit that bill. Well, so tell me I'd who. I'd prefer to see that. Who would get 218 votes? Seriously, said, sodium pentothal in your name, arm right now. Who could get if, 218? If I said the name of a person who would be perfect to do it, other than Byron Donalds, who we've got on the floor right now, it would discredit them just because people get mad. And so I won't do that, but I'm telling you, there are at least eight or nine people that would be acceptable to me, I believe. Acceptable to you, but... And they're not in, and they're not in freedom, freedom, out of Freedom Caucus. How about that? If the process continues to drag out and there's a stalemate after stalemate and Kevin McCarthy's still getting the most number of votes and your candidates are still getting uh, double digits, low double digits, as, as Congressman Donalds is getting right now, uh, would you ever consider blinking or even voting present just to lower the threshold so he could be elected speaker and you could move on with the people's business? I intend to pursue this to the correct outcome for the American people. Lastly, sir, Congressman uh, Waltz says your party uh, is turning into a laughingstock because of this process. Do you disagree? Well, I don't. I completely disagree. We'll see how voters react. The, the, the reaction coming to my office is runs about 10 to 1 in favor of the effort that we're making. The American people are fed up. I mean, you can look at polls and no doubt about that. And they didn't wholeheartedly jump on the Republican Party. They gave us a narrow majority. I think they want us to work hard and fix things. And I intend to put forth the effort. I don't think just continuing to do the same old thing in the same old way is going to be what the American people want to see or what satisfies them. All right. Republican Congressman Dan Bishop of the beautiful state of North Carolina, thanks for being with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Jake. CNN special coverage of this historic and dramatic vote for House Speaker continues right after. We're going to squeeze in a very quick break. Don't go away. Thank you. And welcome back to CNN's special live coverage of the, well, I don't know what you'd call it, chaotic fight for a Speaker of the House. Uh, there has just been a vote of some consequence. Let's bring in CNN's Manu Raju on Capitol Hill to tell us what just happened after Kevin McCarthy suffered the defeat on his sixth ballot over the last two days. What's next, Manu? Well, there's now the discussion within the Capitol about adjourning, and that's exactly actually what just happened. They're adjourning until 8 p.m. tonight. That is what the House just agreed to. Now, that's uh, not as long as some of the members have been talking about for, uh, the, for the course of the day. They've been hoping to adjourn until tomorrow, especially the McCarthy camp, to give them more time to get an agreement. But now the adjournment is till 8. So what happens now? These members are going to go behind closed doors. There's a discussion about a negotiating group of four members uh, for they're allied with Kevin McCarthy, four members who are a uh, part of this group of 20 members who have been denying Kevin McCarthy his path to the speakership. They are expected to go behind closed doors and try to trade offers, try to see whether they can come to some sort of resolution. And then if they can, perhaps that can change the dynamic because at 8 p.m. the House will gavel back into session. And if there is not a 218 votes to gavel the, the uh, session close or adjourn, that
then they will automatically go on to the next ballot. And if the dynamic hasn't changed at that point, Kevin McCarthy again will suffer another loss. So all this means the next few hours absolutely critical for McCarthy to eventually get there to get the votes because the negotiations are taking place. There's some optimism that the, perhaps they can get a deal. Scott Perry is walking behind me right now. He's walking towards Kevin McCarthy's office. We'll see if he's part of the negotiating group. There have been rumors that he was part of the four members. Of course, he is one of the 20 Republicans uh, who have been uh, vocal in their opposition to McCarthy. But there's been some suggestion of potential movement. Already Chip Roy, a Republican of Texas, and also Dan Bishop, another Republican who has opposed McCarthy, have both signaled an openness to supporting him if they make some certain changes. Believe the talks have moved in a positive direction today. But one other Republican, Andy Biggs, just told me he is still a hard no. So there's not much room for error. There's only four Republican votes McCarthy can afford to lose. But we'll see. And the next few hours will be critical, whether he can peel off any support, whether he can win these attractors. But his challenge is not moving too far to the right, because if he does, that will alienate others in his conference. So a big moment for McCarthy in his future as they try to see if they can get a deal in the next few hours here, Jake. All right, Manu Raju, thanks so much. Uh, let's uh, bring in my panel. Let's start with uh, Alyssa Farah Griffin, uh, who, before she worked for the Trump administration, worked uh, for Republicans in the House, including some members of the Freedom Caucus. Um, Alyssa, it is 436. Is there any chance, do you think, that there will be any deal possible that could be brokered uh, between some of these 20 rebels and the 201 or so Republicans who support Kevin McCarthy uh, to end this process? So yes and no. Um, I think there's about five members of the the no caucus that are intractable. Um, I don't think Kevin McCarthy can get to 218. I am hearing talking to some lawmakers on Capitol Hill about some potential concessions he may offer to peel off some who are on the margins. And one that's been floated, and again, this is speculation from members who are kind of just trying to come up with what he may be able to do, is to commit to a certain term limit of a speaker. So to do it for one term, uh, to get to have that opportunity to be speaker, but then to step down after two years. To me, that sounds like an incredible long shot, but it is such a massive concession, it could probably pull some folks over. But at the end of the day, Kevin McCarthy has had months to come up with these votes, to do the arm twisting behind the scenes, to cut the deals that he needed to. And the fact that he's let it go this far is just is truly a strategic failure at every level. I guess one of the questions I have for you, Alyssa, because you know Kevin McCarthy, um, how did this happen? How did it happen that he went to the floor of the House without having secured the votes, without having exacted specific uh, promises to vote for him if he... Uh, goes along with the demands, uh, promises. There are there are individuals. I think like 17 out of the 20 individuals who voted against him, he helped fund their campaigns for Congress. It, it, did he just take it all for granted? Does he have uh, a staff around him that doesn't tell him the truth? Does he not listen? Tell me. Tell me how this happened. I suspect that when he was anticipating that there was going to be this red wave and he had raised a ton of money, he had contributed quite a bit to House Republicans. 
He would have had a closer shot at the speakership. It still would have been an uphill battle. But what he never did, in my understanding, is really recalibrate when he got the slimmest of slim majorities um, after the midterm elections. And I think he thought that the former president's uh, support was going to be enough to put him over the edge. But as we saw with Lauren Boebert and Matt Gates, they're calling, they're saying we're not with the former president. It's actually a mistake for Trump to be backing McCarthy. He should be with us which, by the way, also speaks to just how weakened Donald Trump is. Uh, but, I mean, it was a strategic miscalculation at every turn. I keep thinking of the fact that Steve Scalise, you know, former whip, would have counted these votes and known, you know, 31 no's in conference does not amount to 218 on the floor. And somehow McCarthy botched that. Jonah Goldberg, um, what's your take of the day? Did you, did you anticipate that today would be pretty much the exact same as yesterday, except Kevin McCarthy actually lost a vote? Um, well, it does have the feeling that you could ask the engineers in the control room to put a tape from earlier today and replay it, and a large swath of America would not notice. Um, uh, yeah, look, I, I, on this point about I, – I've heard this all over the place about how, Kevin, how you know, Nancy Pelosi would never bring a vote to the floor and all that kind of stuff. I understand the point, but the Constitution mandates January 3. So, right. like, it was a hard deadline to go, and so you know, he should have done a better job strategically to get the votes in order – but part of the problem is it's very difficult to have a plan to deal with people who do not have a plan either, right? The people who oppose him had no conception of what victory would look like. And so you can see how his, he was sort of left with sort of no choice other than this theory that, you know, people who, large numbers of whom have no sense of shame, could be shamed if they were forced to take lots of votes. And it just turned out to be a terrible miscalculation. To add to what you're saying, I mean... Um there are some people who have some conception of some things that they want here and there. But Melanie Zanona reported earlier today that one of the demands that was being made by Matt Gates, who uh, I think a lot of people believe is probably a hard no, is that he wanted a subcommittee gavel. He wanted a specific job handed to him by Kevin McCarthy, which if you're one of the other, uh, you know, 200 plus Republicans that's an untenable demand. That's a, that's a ridiculous, untenable demand because what it means is that just because he's holding out, he would get more power just due to that fact. So it's problematic for McCarthy to be dealing with those kinds of demands. And I think as we go along with this, one of the big questions that will emerge is, let's say it's Steve Scalise. Does Steve Scalise go along with all the concessions that Kevin McCarthy has made up until this point, Mm -hmm. which are a lot? Does he go further in order to get the votes to be speaker? I think it's for all of the other potential speakers, Republican speakers, they have to ask themselves, under what circumstances will I have this job? What kinds of rules are these people going to demand? Because I think we don't actually know the answer to that yet. And they're probably going to be spending some of the next couple of hours figuring that part of it out, too. But let me play the devil's advocate here for one second but, uh, about Matt Gates. OK, I'm going to defend Matt Gates. Can we roll the breaking news banner? Stand, bra- stand back. I'm going to defend Matt Gates. OK, when and I'm also going to date myself further. When Tom Daschle in the Senate was running for Senate Minority you. Leader uh, against Chris Dodd, neither of them are in the Senate anymore, he switched the vote of Senator Carol Mosley Braun by saying, you can have my seat on the yep. Senate Finance Committee. And that's how Tom Daschle became the Democratic leader in the Senate. This is not new. I, 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 I'm, I'm sorry. Like, yeah. I get that Matt Gates is outrageous in so many ways. Asking for an Armed Services Committee subcommittee 
chairmanship does not outrage me. Well, well, except that they're anti-swampy, and this well, seems like a swampy move. It, it, exactly. This is we were talking about when this whole process started yesterday afternoon, which is that in some ways this is the ultimate Washington parlor game. It's wheeling and dealing, and it's the kind of thing that we used to see on the regular. Um, with Nancy Pelosi, it was more heavy-handed. With Tom DeLay, uh, you know, when the Republicans had, had control in the 90s, it was heavy-handed. Uh, but pre- previously, this is, this, is, this is the way it works. Remember when there were earmarks? I mean, this is right. a different situation. That's the whole reason earmarks tended to work for a leader because you could get things out of, out of your members that you wanted. But you're exactly right. I mean, I'll, t- I'll give you another example. Jim Jeffords, when he was a Republican, he agreed to switch parties or at least to become an independent and flipped control of the Senate in 2001 because he was promised a chairmanship. It's the same kind of the education of thing. It is. Yeah. I mean, and look, one of the things... That's the kind of thing they don't they want. They don't want, which is what they're asking but for. But there it's is another dynamic here, and that's personal. Steve Scalise may not have to make some mm. of the compromises that Kevin McCarthy has because Mc- Kevin McCarthy's problem is it's personal. There are these people who do not like him, who do not trust him. Steve Scalise, many of these members feel he will keep his word. And so they will also go with him because he's just not Kevin McCarthy. Right. And one of the things about McCarthy, too, and one of the reasons why and Paul Kane put this very well in The Washington Post this morning, is that what Kevin McCarthy loves are is campaign strategy and tactics. Right. And to Alyssa's point, he failed at the tactics of getting himself the gavel here in the House, which means he failed at the thing that he's the best at. And those failures began, perhaps, with the midterm elections, but also they went right up till that conference meeting yesterday morning. Well, there's, no, there's no doubt he doesn't do it well. <laughs> it's no. important to also note there's a lot of distrust, too, between Scalise and McCarthy's camps. Like, they work right. together a lot, but there is a deep, there's a whole other layer there to add to this conversation here. The House of Representatives is taking a break until 8 p.m. We are not, but this does happen <laughs> after three successive defeats. Six, really, total, if you're including yesterday, for Republican leader Kevin McCarthy trying to become the speaker. Up next, I'm going to talk to a current member of the Republican conference about this stalemate. Is there a way out? Stay with us. The breaking news at this hour, the House of Representatives has adjourned until 8 p.m. Eastern later today as the House, specifically House Republicans, remain deadlocked over a choice for House Speaker. Let's bring in Republican Congressman Andy Barr of Kentucky. He supports Kevin McCarthy for House Speaker. Congressman, thanks so much for joining us. McCarthy has now lost six times in a row. What's next? Well, you can look at it that way or you can look at it uh, from the perspective that Kevin McCarthy uh, won the vote among Republicans over 200 members to 26 times. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist or a mathematician to figure out that's a landslide victory within the Republican conference. Of course, it's not enough to uh, earn the speakership, but it just goes to show this is a lopsided, uh, vast supermajority within the Republican conference to elect Speaker McCarthy, uh, to elect Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House. And when is the last time, I'm from Kentucky, when is the last time you saw Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump on the same page? That means a wide swath within the Republican Party is supporting Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy's done more to earn this majority for the Republican Party than any other member. Um, So, look, 
at the end of the day, um, we need to make some reforms to, to fix a broken Congress, and I agree with the 20 uh, or so members who, who want to make those reforms. But McCarthy is making those reforms, and so at the end of the day, I think he will be, he will be elected Speaker. Do you think these reforms, these changes to the legislative process, these changes to the appropriations process, we just talked to uh, uh, Congressman uh, uh, Bishop of North Carolina, who, who doesn't want any omnibus spending bills. He wants individual appropriations bills, as used to be the case like 10 years ago. Do you think that it is possible to cut this deal before 8 p.m. tonight? Well, I agree with Representative Bishop, and so does Kevin McCarthy. None of us want a broken appropriations process. We're all fundamentally on the same page. Yes, I do believe that we can make some progress. Uh, I think um, the, the members who have voted against uh, Representative McCarthy recognize that they are not within the mainstream of the conference. The, the bulk of the conference, over 200 members, uh, are sticking uh, with Kevin McCarthy. And uh, those pro-McCarthy members do not want to reward a dysfunctional process that actually enables the Democrat majority. A minority, rather, the Democrat minority. We, we need to stick together. Unity is required to actually advance the conservative cause. Disunity is the enemy of advancing the conservative agenda. And every day that goes by where Kevin McCarthy is not Speaker of the House is a day we don't defund the 87,000 IRS agents. It's a day we don't secure the border. It's a day we don't deal with 40-year high inflation. It's a day we don't get to conduct oversight over this Biden administration that has uh, to date been unchecked and, and, and there has been uh, no checks and balances with the regulatory agenda of this administration. So we know we have to get on with electing a Speaker so that we can actually advance our agenda. Um, I, am, I am floating a few ideas with those uh, members who have voted against uh, Speaker McCarthy to continue to try to find reforms that would bring them along and, and to unify our conference. Uh, one of those uh, seems to be uh, continuing to reform the steering committee process. Most of the grievances that I'm hearing um, from those members relate to their access or fair access to appointments to committees. But no member should have special treatment. And so we could do a few things to the steering committee process to give the Freedom Caucus a seat at the table, to give the, the uh, Republican Study Committee, uh, the Tuesday group, the moderate uh, members, each a specific representative, a, a delegate to the steering committee so that everybody feels like they have a fair and mm -hmm. equal shot at committee assignments. So obviously the red wave uh, that Kevin McCarthy uh, predicted did not happen. Um, Republicans won back control of the House by, by, but by a very slim margin. One of the reasons for that, analysts say, is that there were a lot of extreme candidates, people on the far right of your party. And I'm wondering if you think these 20 although certainly not each individual one, but if these 20 being further empowered in any way might actually exacerbate that problem uh, and make it as though all you guys care about is a laptop investigation, for example, as opposed to the issues that you just talked about, immigration, in inflation, uh, fentanyl, and on and on, and oversight, which is obviously important. I'm wondering if you're worried about that. You know, I'm not really worried about it, and I actually applaud those members with whom I disagree about uh, uh, the speaker's race about wanting to reform the institution. I agree with them on that. But in order for us to advance those reforms, to actually lock in the wins that they have achieved in persuading leadership to make these uh, changes to the Rules Committee, in order to lock in those wins, we have to elect a speaker. 
we have to advance our agenda. We have to be unified uh, to actually serve as that check and balance. So um, I am appealing uh, to my colleagues to look, um, take, a, take yes for an answer. Uh, accept the, the fact that we have made some successful reforms here, lock them in, and bank those wins, and let's keep fighting. Yeah, but I mean, you know, don't tell me. Tell Congressman Bishop and Matt Gates and all the others. I mean, do you? What do they say when you say that to them? Hey, we've ex, you know we've acquiesced on so many of these things. Kevin McCarthy and I and everyone else also want to reform the process. We also want individual appropriations bills. We also want a more open amendment process. What do they say when you tell them that? Well, again, a lot of these grievances center around what they perceive as their access to an appointment to a committee. And they, they feel locked out of the process and there's a lack of trust. So um, I think if we reform the process and create a steering committee where everybody feels like they have an equal shot, I think that could move votes in favor of Kevin McCarthy, those who are not voting for him right now. I'm actually getting um, some positive feedback from members that I've had personal private conversations with. I've relayed that back to, to uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy and his staff. And I'm going to continue to work and listen to all sides. Listen to those pro-McCarthy members who say, look, I'm never going to change my vote um, and I'm never going to reward dysfunction. And I'm also going to continue to listen to my colleagues who are skeptical of Kevin's candidacy and listen to what it is that they actually feel like they need to get the reforms that they need to open up the process. Mm -hmm. One thing I have emphasized to my colleagues who, have, who are opposed to, to Kevin as Speaker of the House is that no group should have special treatment. Every, we're the Republican Party. We believe in merit-based right. appointments. Uh, we don't believe in seniority. We believe in merit-based. That means that everyone should be able to go in front of the steering committee and persuade them that they deserve to be on this committee or that committee. Yeah. And no speaker, whether it's Kevin McCarthy, Steve Scalise, Byron Donalds, Jim Jordan, no speaker of the House can guarantee any individual right. member no, exactly. a position on a committee. It's a committee. It's the steering committee. And if we can open up that process, reform that process so that members have confidence in that process, not yeah. trust in a, a single individual person, I think we can make some progress and get this thing resolved so we can move forward with our agenda. All right, Republican Congressman Andy Barr, thanks so much. Good to see you, sir. Good luck. Good Two days, six thanks, rounds, still no House Speaker. How is this going to end? We're going to be back in a moment with more drama from the House floor. Stay with us. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we begin this hour with the continuing drama on Capitol Hill. Day two of the chaotic and historic fight for Speaker of the House. Something we have not seen in 100 years, meaning I have personally never seen it ever. The House of Representatives has now adjourned until 8 p.m. after Republican leader Kevin McCarthy failed on his attempt. Not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, but yes, six. Six attempts to win a majority of the votes in the House to become Speaker. Source tells CNN Republicans believe that there may be a path forward between the pro-McCarthy and anti-McCarthy Republicans to negotiate, to choose a House Speaker. Let's go to CNN's Manu Raju on Capitol Hill. Manu, I am hearing, as you are hearing from members of Congress, you're hearing from them off the record, I guess, and I'm hearing from them on camera, uh, who are saying, yeah, they think that there actually might be a way forward. 
Yeah, and some of them are saying that too, on the record too, Congressman Chip Roy uh, being one of them. Others are suggesting there is not. So there's still very little uh, room for error for Kevin McCarthy. But McCarthy just left the floor on his way in to the Speaker's office. I asked him what he expects uh, going into these negotiations. He said he didn't say a whole lot of them. They can plan to continue to talk. I said, do you really expect after just a few hours here, you can get to 218 votes on the House floor at 8 p.m. Eastern time, just a few hours from now, he said, we will get 218, we will solve our problems, and we will all work together. So he still is maintaining some optimism. It's still unclear exactly how that will happen. But what he, what he has done is he has put together a group of eight members, four on his side, who are pushing, listening to whoever, who have the speakers, uh, the hope to the, the, uh, the Republican leader's ear. And now four on the detractor's side. They are now behind closed doors to discuss what way forward. Now, some proposals on the table from those detractors is to give them more power, give them more committee assignments, give them more uh, say in forcing a vote to oust a sitting speaker. Among those issues, there are, I'm told there have been some progress on some of these issues according to some of these members. Now, does that mean that they can get there? It is still uncertain because he has a long way to go. He can only lose four votes to get there for Republican votes. He's lost 20 so far. There are several Republicans who I talked to coming off the floor who are still no votes, including Congressman Bob Good, who told me he hopes a realization for McCarthy is that he can't be speaker and he needs to step aside. Andy Biggs, another member, told me he's still a hard no. So you can, you can sense how little of a path Kevin McCarthy has to get to 218 votes even though they are still optimistic, Jake, that somehow they can get there. But they've been trying for weeks and weeks, and they've been trying for the last couple of days, and they haven't get, gotten there. So can they get there tonight? A big question as we head into a critical few hours. All right, Manu Raju, thanks so much. Let's uh, talk more with our panel. Uh, and and uh, Casey Hahn, I mean, one of the things you, you clearly hear from the Congressman Bishops and the Congressman Bars and others, this idea that, yes, we need to reform the process even further. Kevin McCarthy needs to make changes even further. That's from Barr. Right. who's pro-McCarthy. Um, but, you know, some of the people, like, it doesn't matter. It's not really about the process. <laughs> uh, it's not about the rules. No. It, you know, Bob Good is not going to vote for Kevin McCarthy no, no matter, matter what. what. Right. No, you're exactly right. I mean, for some of them, it's personal. And the question is, are there five of them for whom it's personal? Or are there four of them for whom it's personal? Um, and how clear can they make that or do they make that uh, to Kevin McCarthy? And, you know, I think... This is obviously going to be a very telling period. And what I'm waiting for, and Jamie, I know you've been reporting yeah. on this throughout, is to see whether we start to see close McCarthy allies start to try to tell him, hey, you know what, we can't actually do this again. We need to kind of come to a resolution here. So far, I haven't seen signs that, that, that that's happening yet. Uh, but it's, it does seem like the frustration is boiling over. Dana Bash, is there a deal at all to cut with Democrats, mm-hmm. to have Democrats vote present or leave the floor, to bring the threshold down, so that, you know, let's say McCarthy is able to win over 10, but not 14 uh, of these, or whatever the number is that, that's, that he's needed. Um, and and, and, and what, what, what might that look like? What would Democrats be willing to do that for? Uh, so I've been asking that question. The answer is so far no. There is uh, no desire to do that yet. One of the sort of outstanding possibilities, I was just talking to a Republican member who said that the idea would be to try to uh, get a plurality. We've been talking a little bit about this. But what in this scenario, the following would happen. You would take a vote. You need 218 to agree uh, that the speaker vote would not be 
uh, a threshold of 218, it would just be the person who gets the most votes. It's a very dangerous thing for Republicans to agree to because we've seen for six consecutive votes the person who got the most votes, Hakeem Jeffries. And so the idea there would be for, uh, for Republicans to sort of roll the dice and say, okay, you 20, it's either Kevin McCarthy or Hakeem Jeffries. And it is very, very risky because there are a few Republicans, Matt Gates in particular, who said, I'd rather have Hakeem Jeffries. That is one of a few scenarios they're talking about. But I think the big question right now is what's going on behind closed doors as they're adjourned, as McCarthy and his allies are talking to some of those 20. And really, is there anything else Kevin McCarthy can offer these people? If they're having these House Freedom Caucus members in there, if they're having these McCarthy allies in there and they're going back and forth, what else does he have to offer them that's going to change this in next, the next three hours when in the last month or so we haven't seen any real movement on this? And it's not like it, it, they went to the floor and they had those five people who voted no on Kevin McCarthy. They have voted six times now, and we have seen the numbers not change in McCarthy's favor once. And so I think what these members want is influence. They want to have more say in what happens on the House floor, and that is what they're searching for in this room whether or not that's something Kevin McCarthy is willing to go so far to give to them to where essentially he's not really even the House Speaker, except he gets the portrait and in name only is the question. But he does have to start moving people. Yeah. And that has to happen. Towards him. Right. Yeah. As a point there. He has been moving people, yes. He's got to move that number. I mean, the original idea for McCarthy's camp, knowing that they would have a lot of, def- a lot of opposition, was to try to pick them off divide this group, divide and conquer, they have not done that. And we're day two, so I think that this is why when you see people uh, like Ken Buck saying this needs to be resolved today, I think what he's also saying is that if I don't start to see some movement toward Kevin McCarthy, that is really the writing on the wall. One uh, former uh, House Republican speaker (laughs) said the following to me. It's only, there's only three people that can be, right? Okay. You, get, you get to guess. Short of a seance. Uh, right. How do you negotiate with people I hope she, who... I hope she's not calling any house, halfway houses, but anyway, <laughs> moving on. How do you negotiate with people who don't want to negotiate? Right. And the person went on and said, quote, The suicide squad is locked in. It is like watching someone burn down their own house because the flames excite them. Oh, I have so many thoughts about who You could only imagine. (laughs) I'll give you one one (laughs) guess. But just go back for a second to the Democrats. You know, as as Dennis said, this is a no for them. This is a hard no for them. Can you imagine in a million years if the roles were reversed, and Nancy Pelosi was in this situation, the Republicans would never, never, no. ever make a deal. Yeah, but I, mean, I, I agree with that. And I, I think it's in the Democrats' political interest to watch. Sorry, Mike Pence's fly. <laughs> um, Who's he voting for? Um, uh, uh, it's, I understand the partisan interest in all of this. And yeah, I agree Republicans would not want to do this either. But you can make a case, right? I mean, like, the Senate, when it was tied 50-50, Mitch McConnell went into a power-sharing agreement. They had to work it out with, right. with Chuck Schumer. There are things that Jeffries could get in terms of like how committees are organized and all that kind of stuff that would actually improve the Democrats' power in a very tight House that would make some sense. And I think it, if, you're, if you want to get really you know, crafty about it, it would make a lot of sense for the Democrats to float such an idea, to seem like they are the grown-up, 
bipartisan people and let the Republicans reject it. Yeah, I mean, it's like a house of cards. Whose whose base would go nuts? The Democrats' (laughs) base would go crazy if if the Democrats were suddenly like, oh, we're going to try to work with them. AOC was talking about that on the floor. And and Ro Khanna said today that... But but I I think it's a house of cards on the Republican side. It, It would cause a collapse of Republican support for any candidate if they were to work with Democrats. Because what Democrats would want is is something so significant that Republicans would never, even the moderates... But that's part of my point, is to say, Democrats could say, hey, look, we tried to take the high road here and end this chaos, and the Republicans rejected it out of hand, and it just prolongs the spectacle of what the Republicans are doing to themselves. Because I agree, this how do you negotiate with people who don't want to negotiate problem is real. I mean, uh, Matt Gates is like the Joker from Batman. Some people just want to see the world burn. Right. He's serious. It is in his interest to have Jeffries be the speaker because chaos is his friend and it gets him on TV more. And beyond that, uh, Dana, it's interesting because some of the demands are for promises from Kevin McCarthy that he would commit to chaos, such as mm-hmm. don't allow a vote on raising the debt ceiling. Mm-hmm. That would send the stock market in tumbling down. Mm-hmm. It would have a horrible impact on the economy. I'm not even talking about the give us our own committee so we can you know, subpoena Joe Biden's grandchildren. I, I mean, like, like, literally, do not allow a vote on raising the debt ceiling. That's some of the, those, that's just some of the promises that they're asking for. That's exactly right. And that is presumably the non-starter or one of the non-starters that Kevin McCarthy is saying, whoa, 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 in addition to, no, Matt Gates, I'm not going to give you the gavel for a subcommittee uh, chairmanship. But, you know, the, the question is, I think you're getting at this, is whether or not there is anything that they can, I guess they, you need five people, that you can get five people to agree to anything that is not taking a match and throwing it in and blowing up, not the place, but just the idea of, of democracy and maybe every institution, because that is what so many of these guys represent. They represent that part of Trumpism, which is total chaos and disruption. One of the things that I have to say is I'm surprised that Kevin McCarthy hasn't come out and said, he had a war, Congressman Warren Davidson do a version of it, but I'm surprised that he hasn't get, come out and said, here are the 15 things that I have agreed to do to democratize the legislative process, to open it up, fewer omnibus bills or no omnibus bills. Just like He hasn't done that. Uh, And this is a messaging war that he's losing. uh, And and a lot of these members have no idea what's been agreed to and what hasn't been agreed to. He's not organizing press conferences. I mean, I keep hearing that there are 60 to 70 only Kevin uh, members. Where are they? Why aren't they... Marching think, to the mic- microphone. I mean, yeah. and I think the most interesting thing about this is that the message it sends, and the only thing I can think of that might answer that question, is that he thinks that putting himself out there is going to make it worse. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, he that did make look, it worse yesterday. Look weaker. I mean, that he'll look true. weaker, which he, is hard to imagine. But, but it's, I think not, it's actually point. not. He needs, the message needs to be, these people won't take yes for an answer. It's therefore fault this is happening. I don't know if it would work, but that's the, I, it seems to me that's the right message. Well, and he did make it worse yesterday you know, in that closed-door meeting where he had that really aggressive tone. Someone like a Lauren Boebert had not flat out said she was a no yet. 
Then she came out and said that. And not only that, she called on Trump to rescind right. his endorsement yeah. and to tell people not to vote for Kevin. Thanks, one and all. The House of Representatives is taking a break until 8 p.m. after three successive defeats for Republican leader Kevin McCarthy for Speaker just today. Six total. I'm going to speak to a current member of the Republican conference about any new optimism he might have on a path forward. And later, the former chief of the Capitol Police during the violent insurrection joins me as we approach the second anniversary of the riot, and he talks about what went wrong that day. Stay with us. The House of Representatives has now adjourned, but only until 8 p.m. Eastern this evening. This after Republican leader Kevin McCarthy failed to win a majority of votes for six times, three of those times today. Let's bring in Texas Republican Congressman Michael McCall. Uh, I would call you Mr. Chairman, but that would require you have a speaker and then votes on that. So I still will just call you Congressman McCall for now. Just know that I have that in the back of my brain now. Well, I'm I'm actually not even a congressman right now because we have no uh, functional government. That's an excellent point. Mike, so Mike, (laughs) will Republicans figure this out by 8 p.m. tonight, do you think? You know, there are some very very intensive, high-level negotiations going on right now with the 20 or so who are consistently voting against Kevin McCarthy uh, to see if there's a way we can work this out. Look, we want to be united as a party. We want to govern moving forward. We were elected to do this. Um, and it sends a really bad message to the American people that we can't even you know, accomplish the first step, and that is electing a Speaker of the House. And everything flows from that. As you know, the committees, like if I'm, I will be chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee, but that can't happen until we have a Speaker and we get sworn in as members of Congress. So, uh, look, nobody likes this. I mean, and it's uh, democracy's messy. Uh, but I also worry about what our foreign nation adversaries are thinking when they see the spectacle on the floor uh, and pointing to the fact that maybe democracy is not the best form of government. I, I happen to think it is, but it's not, not a confidence builder. Yeah, I'm not sure who it was. I'm Churchill, maybe, that said it's, it's a horrible form of government except for all others. Um, right. the, I, I would disagree with you, though, that no one's enjoying this. I think some, <laughs> of, the, I think some of the 20 rebels are enjoying it. Not all of them. Some of them, I, I think, actually have principled uh, desires to uh, democratize the legislative process and stop with omnibus spending bills. But I think there are a lot of members in there, too, who are enjoying the attention and enjoying sticking it to, to Kevin McCarthy. Mm-hmm. Um, you are a McCarthy ally. You voted for him every single time, all six. Yeah. Our Lauren Fox heard you tell McCarthy last night to, quote, stay strong. Um, how many votes can he lose on before people like you who support him start to think, maybe we need to go with Scalise. Maybe we need to go with someone else. Mm-hmm. Well, let me say first, the, the, uh, the other, um, I would say, yeah, there are some that like the attention in my party. Uh, and the majority of my uh, party support Kevin McCarthy, as do I. Uh, but the, the, when I look on the House floor, you know the, the happiest are the Democrats. They love this. Oh, yeah. They love the chaos on the floor. Uh, they love the fact that we're looking divided as a party and not united. And I think that hurts uh, the Republican Party. We need to be unified you know, right now. I, I talked to, uh, I've been at, with Kevin, I met this morning. He said, look, I'm, I'm in this as long as it takes. So right now, uh, there are no other options other than 
you know, a battle of wills, a test of wills, if you may, uh, in terms of who's going to blink first. Uh, but at some point, someone's going to have to blink uh, for us to get to 218. The only other option, uh, Jake, is the plurality option, which would be to move to not a vote of 218, but a plurality of the votes. That means whoever gets the majority of the votes actually is the Speaker of the House. Where that could be potentially dangerous is that uh, uh, you could have a, a Democrat become Speaker. Uh, I think the theory would be to have the 20 or so moving to McCarthy rather than elect a Democratic Speaker. Is that a real option? Uh, Dana Bash talked about that being discussed. Uh, is that a real option, the idea that, okay, you have a vote and 218 votes could change the policy, change the standard, and presumably you get enough McCarthy allies and enough Democrats to vote for that, and then it's just whoever gets the most votes wins, and all of the McCarthy knows are either forced to vote for Kevin McCarthy or allow the Democrat, Hakeem Jeffries, become Speaker of the House. Is that really something being talked about? It's an option. I don't think it's our first option. Our first option is to have Kevin McCarthy elected Speaker. But, you know, if you look at that, uh, it would actually force uh, these 20 members to have to make a very tough choice. Am I going to support Kevin McCarthy, who, you know, by the way, he's got the support of President Trump. He's got the support of Jim Jordan. It's not like, you know, and so it would it put them in a box where they'd have to make a choice between, will I vote for Kevin or am I going to make a vote that's going to end up with a Democrat Speaker of the House? And I think that's, it's an option. It's not our first one uh, for any means. Your fellow uh, Republican uh, Congressman Ken Buck told us earlier today uh, that McCarthy needs to cut a deal or get out of the way. And he thinks today's the last day to do this. He's not committing to McCarthy uh, anymore, even though he has voted for him six times. Do you think, do you agree that does this need to be resolved today or tomorrow you'll do the plurality option? No, I think uh, plurality is uh, like the nuclear option, if you will, be the last option. I, I agree with Ken. And look, you know, a lot of these, you know, half the Freedom Caucus support Kevin McCarthy. And, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of them who in good faith just want open rules changes. And that, that's, that's great. But there are a few that's just a very much a personality issue. Uh, and so I think tonight is very critical. We're at a critical mass. And I know that's why uh, Leader McCarthy is meeting with uh, you know, many of these uh, 20 or so to see what more can be done. So the question is, like in the rules changes, you know, McCarthy conceded almost every request that was made to him. And then the question was posed at our conference, what more do you want? And they couldn't answer that question. So either we can work this out civilized on a policy level, or if this is just a personality grudge match, I'm not sure, uh, I, I can't change that. Uh, that's just uh, a personal uh, opinion, belief system. And so I think tonight is very critical. I don't think this can play out much longer. All right, Mike McCall. Maybe sometime soon I'll call you Congressman McCall again or Mr. Chairman <laughs> or Mr. Chairman. But right now you're just Mike. Thanks so much for being with us. I appreciate it. Coming up next, Thanks, I'm going to speak with the former chief of the Capitol Police during the violent insurrection as we approach the second anniversary of that horrible day. Whom does he blame for the deadly assault on American democracy? Stay with us. Cops 
In our politics lead, in the nearly two years since the violent and deadly January 6th attack on the Capitol, many of the rioters and leaders of the assault have been brought to justice. While the House Select Committee investigating the insurrection has now released all the interview transcripts from its investigation, taking the extraordinary step of recommending that Donald Trump and some of his allies actually be criminally charged by the Justice Department. Let's bring in Stephen Sund. He's the former chief of the U.S. Capitol Police who defended Congress that day. He resigned, kind of shown the door shortly thereafter. He's the author of a brand new book out yesterday. It's called Courage Under Fire, Under Siege, and Outnumbered 58 to 1 on January 6th. Thanks so much for being here. I have a lot of questions for you. I read the whole book uh, cover to cover. Um, the book feels like an, an attempt to explain what happened, what went wrong, um, and why you, in particular, are not solely to blame uh, for what happened. You write, quote, Hearings have been held and reports written, but in true D.C. fashion, where everything is done to promote one's party and platform, the facts have been largely ignored or glossed over. So I know you've wrote an, written an entire book answering the question I'm about to ask you, but as concisely as possible, what are pe- people missing about that day? There's, there's so much that went on to that day. There's so many things that were in play that prevented you know, the, the advanced protection of the Capitol, um, regulations that I faced, issues with intelligence, issues with the Department of Defense failing to come to our assistance, uh, that just created a terrible day for my officers. Uh, I think, you know, the reason why I wrote the book is I don't want to see this happen again. It was a terrible day, and I'm really worried something like this could happen again. So one of the big problems you have uh, with the way that the Capitol Police system is set up is that you didn't have a lot of autonomy. You had to report to a board. There was a House Sergeant-at-Arms, the Architect of the Capitol, the Senate Sergeant-at-Arms. And you, and you point fingers at the House Sergeant-at-Arms and the Senate Sergeant Arms, both of whom were also let go around the time you were mm-hmm. let go, um, for not approving your many requests uh, for the National Guard. How much was that the key problem in your view that those two men, uh, one of whom has passed away, mm-hmm. um, that those two men did not take your request seriously enough? Well, it, it ties in. It's a, a it's a, a compilation of issues. It's that, and what people don't realize is, as the as the chief of the Capitol Police, you're absolutely right. I have very little autonomy. That people don't realize there's a federal law that prevents me from calling in resources, both in advance of an event and while we're under attack, like happened on January 6th, that requires me to go to the, the Capitol Police Board to request approval. Um, you know, you bring in a chief, he's supposed to have autonomy, he has law, law, law enforcement experience, let him do his job. Right. But instead, I have to go to the Capitol Police Board. I was denied on January 3rd for advanced um, National Guard support, unarmed National Guard support to help su- uh, support my perimeter. And then when we're under attack on January 6th, they wait, make me wait 71 minutes to get assistance for my men and women. And the National Guard's the backstop for law enforcement. When I dial 911, I'm calling the National Guard. In, in retrospect, do you wish you had gone public with your requests? Because obviously, the, in your view, the sergeants of arms, Senate and House, were not taking seriously your requests. Uh, Pelosi and McConnell's offices say... Uh, and McConnell was in charge of the Senate, Pelosi in charge of the House. They say they were not aware of your requests until January 6th. The sergeants of arms did not tell them. You know, hindsight is really easy to say what, what I could have done, knowing that you know, no one saw an attack on the Capitol that, that we, we experienced that day. Um, you know, going in there and asking out a, a clear chain of command where, where I was supposed to uh, request it. You know, the big thing is, and I talk about the cascading impact of some of the failures that day, intelligence. If the intelligence we now know existed had been clearly um, presented to us, that groups were coordinating a, a planned attack on the Capitol, that would have given me the ammunition to do what you say now, to go public, to push a little bit more forcefully, 
Because Paul Irving came back and said the intelligence didn't didn't support it. That would have given me the ambulance. He's the House Sergeant at Arms. Yeah, the, the House Sergeant at Arms that reports to Speaker Pelosi. Right, but you also had an assistant chief um, who knew of some of the intelligence, and she did not apparently share that with you. Uh, and then after you were fired by Pelosi or, or let go, mm-hmm. uh, she was actually promoted. Uh, and she served into that, in that, and she, she served in a higher office until, I think, November of last year. Uh, why not come forward before that if, if her service in the role of the person in charge of Capitol Police intelligence was so derelict? So why not come forward in my allegations? So I was, I was developing um, uh, the concern for the intelligence. They were doing it in, in internal um, IG investigations as well. And you had the Senate do their report. I believe the Senate came forward and said, if it's clear, intelligence um, failed operations. So they made the, the determination early on. And I'd written a letter to Congress uh, shortly after January 6th outlining some of my initial concerns. It was an eight-page letter that was written to all the members of the uh, leaders uh, and didn't receive one single response. Uh, so I tried to do what I can to, to go public with a lot of my concerns. Yeah. Your minute-by-minute detail of what happened you have a, a, the, of that day you mentioned a lot of Donald Trump tweets. Um, you don't go into the months and months and months of lies that he told about the election that got all those crowds there. Um, I realize that, that it's a complicated question, but how much do you blame Donald Trump for what happened that day? So I'll look at it like this. Um, if we didn't call the people together in the, uh, in the Capitol on that day, and I know he had always talked about, I'm going to present the evidence of a stolen election, you know, we're going to release the cracking of the, of the yeah, uh, there was no evidence. evidence. Yeah. It never came. Right. So he calls the people there, he fires them up, he releases them on the uh, Capitol, and then goes back in the White House, and he's watching the same images that I'm seeing, my family seeing on TV, all the officers' families are seeing on TV, yet he's doing nothing to de-escalate the situation, doing nothing to send me resources. And I would have expected that from the commander-in-chief. Um, on that day to send some assistance right down the street. You know, he's known as the law and order president. You know, we would look for a little bit more support. Yeah. Um, so many people failed the rank and file officers that day. Uh, people like Brian Sicknick, who, who died shortly after uh, he was sprayed with bear spray. Uh, individuals who took their own lives, mm-hmm. who died by suicide afterwards. Um, and I'm wondering, what is your message to them? Do you apologize to them for any way that you fell short? So I have two, I think I'd say two messages, and I, I know my officers very well. I, I love and care for every man and woman on that police department. I talk to them regularly, uh, and I truly do care about them. They know how much I care about them, is, is this. Um, on that day, they did the best they possibly could. If it wasn't for the law enforcement, the agencies that came into assistance, you know, I called in 17 law enforcement agencies, over 1,700 officers that came in and assisted that day. If it wasn't for the law enforcement and the quick response we got from the Metropolitan Police Department, I think the rioters would have breached the Capitol much quicker, and you'd be probably dealing with some dead members of Congress in the, hall, in the halls of Congress. Um, what I'm concerned about is the officers, they need to know that I think on that day, with the circumstances I faced, I did everything I possibly could to defend them and get them whatever resources I could. They need to change the security structure that oversees the Capitol Police and give the chief the complete autonomy to do his job. So reading the book, it's interesting because you have a couple scenes with members of Congress that make me feel like well, I could see maybe from their perspective, they would view that interaction differently. You have one where Congress, Congresswoman, Chairwoman Maxine Waters says to you before January 6th, are you ready? They're going to be, you know, they're going to be breaking in. They're going to be climbing all over the dome. I'm paraphrasing. And then after the attack, she's like, I told you. 
And then you have another one with Congresswoman, uh, Chairwoman Zoe Lofgren, who's head of the House Administration, mm-hmm. where basically you say, you know, that you've talked about the National Guard option. And I could see her thinking, okay, then that's, that's taken care of. Can you see from their perspective why they might think um, you had opportunities and you di- either you didn't listen to Waters, uh, Maxine Waters, uh, you know, we talked about failure of imagination after 9-11, yep. or you, you, know, you provided some reassurance to Zoe Lofgren that maybe wasn't appropriate. So again, let's go back to like the Maxine Waters discussion. When she was talking to me, she had brought up, uh, her main concern was the permit side that I was issuing. And she had a lot of concern about, you know, do we uh, determine how we issue those permits? Um, and based on demographics, based on their message, and we don't. That has nothing to do with First Amendment uh, policy. But when she brought up, you know, are you, are you ready for people to climb on the buildings? That's the first time I ever heard anybody say, and that's, that was her extent of it. Are you ready for people to be climbing on the she buildings? She was right, though. She was right. That's the interesting thing. And, and I tend to wonder, you know, what information did she have ahead of time? So think about this. Or maybe it was just an imagination of just like how... May, maybe, maybe it could be, a, a, you know, a imagination. But none of the intelligence we saw was, it was indicating that. You know, even up I mean, when you talk about the fourth intelligence assessment, I talked about it, it could be uh, potentially violent for uh, uh, law enforcement. Their target is Congress. Everybody that comes up here in protest, their target's Congress. Um, nothing ever said anything about a coordinated attack, yet the same agency that put out that um, bulletin on the fourth puts out a bulletin saying low probability of arrest or civil disobedience. Puts out the same report on the fifth, the sixth. So nothing was indicating we were going to have that. So when she said that, you know, at the time you're thinking about it, where is she thinking about that? Because I'm not seeing the intelligence. And then when I was briefing um, Zoe Lofgren, uh, Chairperson Lowe, Zoe Lofgren, during that, and I talk about it in the book, um, it was um, Paul, uh, Paul Irving that actually brought up, hey, tell her about the National Guard. Right. Even, so though, he was, he, even though he had been downgrading. He was the person that yeah. told me I couldn't have him in advance. So I told him, yeah, I'd reached out, and if, if we need them, they're, they're ready. All right. Well, the book is Courage Under Fire, Under Siege, and Outnumbered 58 to 1 on January 6th. January 6th. Thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Coming up, the suspect in the Idaho student murders is on his way back to Idaho as the victim's families prepare to learn a lot more about the case. Stay with us. International lead Brian Koberger, the man accused of killing in cold blood four University of Idaho students, will soon be back in that state of Idaho after agreeing to be extradited from Pennsylvania, as CNN's Veronica Miracle reports for us now, several questions remain over what authorities know about the murder case. Brian Koberger making his way back to Idaho today, according to a source familiar with the case, after waiving extradition in a Pennsylvania court Tuesday. He was escorted by the Pennsylvania State Police on a prisoner transport flight to be booked into jail in Latah County, Idaho, after his arrest on murder charges in the stabbing deaths of Ethan Chapin, Zana Kernodal, Madison Mogan, and Kaylee Gonsalves in mid-November. The Pennsylvania State Police saying they're limited in the information they can release about their role. Specific details regarding this investigation cannot be released until the suspect is extradited to Idaho and presented with the probable cause affidavit. The alleged killer will then be served with Idaho's arrest warrant, paving the way for the court to unseal documents that detail the evidence against him. 
The judge overseeing hearings in the Koberger case has issued a sweeping gag order prohibiting law enforcement and attorneys involved in the proceedings from, quote, making extrajudicial statements written or oral concerning this case, including evidence, criminal records, or any matter likely to interfere with a fair trial. The gag order was issued as new details emerge about Koberger's whereabouts in the seven weeks between the time of the killings and his arrest in Pennsylvania including two traffic stops in Indiana as he and his father drove from Washington State University to the family home in Chestnut Hill Township, Pennsylvania, arriving in mid-December. Our office, at the disposal of the Idaho authorities, to help facilitate a complete uh, background investigation into the defendant, both uh, activities prior to the murders and his activities after the murders. The investigation includes other locations where Koberger lived while attending DeSales University in Pennsylvania and in Pullman, Washington, just nine miles from where the murders were committed and where Koberger was a graduate student in criminology at Washington State. Key details in the case have still not been released, including the motive for the murders and whether the suspect knew the victims. The continuing primary goal is the seeking of justice through successful prosecution and conviction, bearing the burden of proof proof beyond a reasonable doubt. So when will that probable cause affidavit be unsealed? Well, the clerk here says that's up to the judge, and she still has not made a decision on the timing of its release. Jake? Veronica Miracle in Moscow, Idaho for us. Thank you so much. Joining us now to discuss the many, many questions so many of us have about the Idaho murder suspect, former FBI special agent and senior profiler, Mary Ellen O'Toole. Uh, Mary Ellen, so good to see you again. Based on what you know, One, um, two, three, four, do you believe this was a targeted attack? Well, I believe that if the if the injury patterns demonstrate that one or two of the victims were treated differently, just in terms of how many times they were stabbed, if there were um, if there was postmortem mutilation, something like that, then that would suggest that it was um, targeted specifically towards that victim or two victims. It's clear that the suspect was careful in the attack. Um, do you think it's likely that he has committed, he or she, I guess I should say, has committed other acts of violence? I would say there's a good possibility that there are other acts of violence, not not at the level that this is, but that there are other acts of violence. And it doesn't mean that the individual has been arrested for it because the absence of a criminal record doesn't mean criminal behavior is absent. But to say that this was the first time anything was done um, would be um, would would be hard to believe. The individual has been arrested. Koberger, he's innocent until proven guilty. Uh, police say that his DNA was found at the scene, although we're not exactly sure where. Based on what you know, does this seem like a, a, a logical arrest, a legitimate arrest? It does, based on what they're saying about the DNA, yes. And it does make sense that in a crime scene like this, the offender is going to leave, deposit their own DNA. It's very difficult to think, even under the best of circumstances where you planned it from beginning to end, leaving DNA at at the scene of a quadruple murder is very, very likely because blood is slippery and your hand, even if gloved, will slide down over a blade and that's all you need or to have one of the victims scratch you and have human tissue under their finger fingernails, that's all you need. Does this seem to you like a crime in which an individual got violent because a situation got out of control, or does it seem more like a planned mass murder? No, it seems planned to me. It seems that there was 
effort and strategic thinking that went into it. And what is concerning for me, whoever the suspect ends up being, that there was strategic thinking during the crime. In other words, the person was not overwhelmed by what they did, but strategically thinking throughout the entire crime. And, and that goes to a whole different type of personality. Mary Ellen O'Toole, good to see you again. We'll have you back to discuss this horrific case. Thanks so much. The Buffalo Bill says, uh, DeMar Hamlin is showing signs of improvement. This is the NFL assesses its scheduling options with the, with the playoffs barely more than a week away. Stay with us. In the sports lead today, the Buffalo Bills say DeMar Hamlin is showing signs of improvement, though the team adds that he remains in critical condition in a Cincinnati intensive care unit. The 24-year-old, of course, uh, suffered cardiac arrest during Monday night's game against the Cincinnati Bengals, a jarring moment that stunned the nation. CNN's Ryan Young is also in Cincinnati. And Ryan, the NFL gave some updates today. What did they have to say? They did, Jake, but uh, such a jarring moment. I can tell you so many people who were here were happy to hear about those new improvements, especially fans who've gathered outside the hospital. The NFL today saying that they're not sure whether or not the Buffalo Bills will play this weekend. They're going to actually leave that up to the team, the coaches, and the staff to figure out how they move forward next. The Bengals coach actually addressed the media today and talked about the idea of the pain that he saw in the other coaches' face, Sean McDermott, during this whole ordeal that people have been sort of captivated by in this entire country as they continue to pray for um, Mr. Hamlin. But listen to Troy Vincent. He's an NFL um, former player who's also now an NFL official. Listen to the emotion in his voice today as the NFL talked about the emergency precautions they have in place and how they moved forward on uh, Monday. It was insensitive. And frankly, it lacked both empathy and compassion for DeMar's situation, who is still in the woods. Jake, there's a lot of emotion still wrapped around this case. So you can understand when you hear someone who played in the NFL um, crying about what has taken place in terms of people's insensitive tweets or the, how the NFL may have not uh, wanted to end the game. They made it pretty clear today there was no uh, movement in terms of having someone go back on the field. Um, we've also seen family members walked out. I actually talked to Jamar's um, aunts uh, last night, and they were happy for all the prayers that are coming their direction. You understand how painful this has been for that entire family. Jake. Is there anything else you can tell us about his condition? Yeah, well, that's the one thing that we're all monitoring. Of course, when we talked to the uncle, he indicated to us that, of course, he's been turned on his side to help him breathe. That's the thing that we're all paying attention to at this point. He's still in the ICU, still considered critical condition. But there was that tweet that the, that the Buffalo Bills put out basically saying improvements are happening. Jake? Any improvement is good news, I suppose, at this point. Ryan Young in Cincinnati, thank yes, you so much. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at The Lead. You can download our, package, our, our podcast from whence you get them. Our coverage continues with Wolf Blitzer in the Situation Room after the short break. I will see you again. I'll be back at 8 p.m. Eastern this evening for more coverage of Speaker of the House Madness or whatever we're calling it. See you there. 
We all do things our own way, and since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.